It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic today on the show. It is what is becoming a yearly tradition around these parts. First week of the season, we get Cole Huff in the building and we break down what we've seen over the first couple of days of NBA action. What's going on, Cole? How you doing, man? Great. Always an honor to be on, be on the Game Theory Pod. Like, this is great. This is what I was looking forward to all day. Get to talk a little hoops with my guy. Like you said, it's going to become a tradition. So you're locked in for, for years and years of this. Hope you're ready. For years to come. I love it. Yep. We're in. So today is a good day, Cole. Uh, unfortunately, I popped a pair of Vapor Maxes, you know, like the air bubbles mm-hmm. that are in like the heel of Vapor Maxes. I popped mm-hmm. them. But important note, there is now Pineapple White Claw here in Australia. Uh, I have not tried one yet, so I'm going to give it a try while we're on the podcast. You know, it's right. five o'clock somewhere, aka, you know, four o'clock in Australia, right? We're getting close. So we're going to see how this tastes almost happy while we're hour. podcasting. Yeah. yeah, almost happy hour, right? Yeah. Um, and we're just going to talk about basketball, and we're going to start with the Lakers and Clippers. I think that the place we have to start is that Kawhi Leonard got to play basketball again. And watching Kawhi Leonard play basketball is one of the great joys. Uh, he is just like – I know that uh, Bob Vulgaris calls him Robo Jordan, and that's basically what it feels like watching him play, uh, just with – like the mechanical nature of his game, but also the fact that he's just a stone cold killer, both offensively and defensively. And from the mid range, you're, you know, you write about the Clippers, you watch this team as religiously as just about anyone else. What was it like getting to see Kawhi Leonard play basketball again for you? Well, I I thought we weren't going to get him. Like I thought the Clippers were trolling this for a minute. Like the further and further it got into that, that first half, I'm like, is he even going to play? Like, um, (laughs) I really did that. Think that they were going to troll us in that way, but no, it was, it was good. I mean, we saw him play a little bit in the preseason. I, I think maybe like fewer than thirty minutes combined in all the games that he played. So, I mean, he was just out there testing the waters. And then I texted you, or we were texting each other during the game. It was like yeah. he just seemed so nonchalant out there. But like that's just that's just who he is by nature. You know, he gets to his spots. Yeah. He's not sped up. Uh, so in that regard, he looked like the same Kawhi, but. Um, yeah, like you said, I mean, it's been since that Utah series of 2021, uh, since the last time we've seen him play like actual real meaningful NBA minutes. So it was good to see him out there. He still looks, looks like the same dude. Uh, I'm sure they'll, they'll take it easy. I'm sure that's part on them, part on him. And, uh, yeah, it's good to see him back for sure. The game needed him. 
Yeah, like it, it was weird through the first little while. It felt like he did not know, uh, didn't didn't really have like his legs yet. It felt like, and of course he didn't have his legs. Like we're going to talk about guys being in game shape pretty regularly throughout this episode because I think that's something that 76ers fans are trying to wrap their heads around right now mm-hmm. a little bit. Uh, but it's understandable why Kawhi Leonard might not totally have his you know game legs under him there's a difference between being in shape and being in you know nba basketball playing 30 minutes a night shape and for what we saw i I thought that he came out on fire obviously he gets that rebound grabs and goes and knocks down that floating mid-range jumper and then you know goes and does it again basically on the next possession but then he started to come up short on some of his jumpers and Mm -hmm it's just clear this is going to be a process, right? Like this is going to be just a reintegration process. And that that goes for everyone on the Clippers. I felt like too, is they continue to add all of these new pieces to the mix, because as soon as Kawhi came in and they had to cater to having another superstar on the court and the Clippers offense can get a bit stagnant as it is Mm -hmm. just in general, but it felt like particularly the offense went very stagnant when Kawhi Leonard was in because they were still just kind of feeling each other out a little bit and trying to understand where he wanted the ball, understand how to get him the ball. Uh, just, just a little bit, a little bit stop starty. A lot of dream. Yeah, you saw that at the end of the game too. Like how many possessions down the stretch were guys just, you know, holding the ball over their heads, trying to throw an entry pass to Kawhi who was being fronted by like Westbrook and, and other dudes like that, just basically staring him down. Like, they're in fifth grade. Um, so it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a while. Um, but as long as the Clippers are able to, you know, keep their – I guess I don't know what the correct word would be, but I know over the offseason a lot of the talk was about guys sacrificing minutes and, you know, yeah. on this night this guy might not play and so on and so forth. And when you have, um, as you alluded to in our, in our text messages, 11 starting caliber players, um, it's hard to find yeah. minutes. So – um, the rotations are just going to be weird for a while, especially with Kawhi not really, really back in the, in the rotation yet. I don't know how many would he play tonight. Uh, he got to 21 minutes. 21, 21 minutes. Like, yeah, I mean, that's not going to last forever. So as his minutes go up, somebody's going to have to drop. You know, it's just going to be kind of a, you know, musical chairs in and out uh, for a while. Um, but I guess as long as they're committed to doing it, it could work out in the end. Well, I mean, just just think about it this way. Terrence Mann played six minutes tonight. They extended Terrence Mann on like an $11 million a year contract uh, at the beginning of last season for this year and next year. And Terrence Mann probably starts on 10 to 15 teams in the NBA, something like that. Like he's a really good player, killer defender, killer ball mover, kind of exactly what every team is trying to find right now. Right. right? It's hard to find these guys who are, kind of good at everything but maybe not like elite at anything right uh terrence Mann just doesn't take anything off of the court he played six minutes tonight like amir coffee i thought like kind of proved himself as a rotation player in the nba over the last like year year and a half he didn't even play tonight this team is just so loaded with guys that it's it's hard to it's hard to try and figure out I think it's going to be hard for them to like gain momentum 
at times yeah. throughout this year because it feels like they're going to be guys like coming in and out of the lineup. Like John Wall is probably not going to play back to backs. Kawhi is probably not going to play back to backs. Um, you know, they're probably going to try and get Paul George some minutes off here and there, right? Like it just feels like they have so many guys and you kind of have to have so many guys when you have this many injury questions on your team, but I'll be interested if they kind of figure out how to manage all of the different pieces uh, on this roster. And like you alluded to a minute ago, if they're able to keep everyone happy on this team. And obviously winning cures all. And and I'm sure, you know, when they, when they re-signed Amir Coffey this offseason and brought back Nico Batum and Covington re-signed, like I'm sure all those guys knew what the deal was going to be um, with how yep. many bodies that the, that the Clippers had on, the, on this team. Uh, so I'm sure that they're aware of it. Um, it's a little different reality when, you know, the season comes around and, you know, you're playing 15 minutes one night, 25 the next, 10 the next, you know what I mean? So, um, but it's definitely a, a good problem to have, especially for a team that's always been so injured. Um, getting through the 82 game season. Um, I'm more interested in seeing, you know, what, what Ty Lue does with his rotation months and months from now when it, when it's playoff time and, you know, Kawhi and Paul George are playing close to 40 minutes and, you know, you really got to cut, cut the rotation short a little bit. So, um, but a long time, a long ways until then, like you said, back to backs, Kawhi, John Wall, they're probably not going to play him. Paul George is going to rest sometimes. They're going to manage Batum's minutes to get him through the season. So there will be opportunities, um, you know, throughout the season for guys like Amir to come in, um, Terrence Mann to play more than six minutes for sure. Even somebody like Luke Kennard played 24 minutes tonight. He's, he seemed like he could have been on the court a lot more, you know what I mean? So, yeah, uh, that's just that's going to be the story of the season, and I think they're fine with that as long as they stay healthy and they're winning. If you had to bet right now, what do you think the Clippers – let's assume everyone's healthy. What do you think the Clippers' closing lineup in a playoff game looks like right now? I think it depends on the matchup, but I would assume, yeah. I mean, obviously you lock in Kawhi and Paul George. Um, one of Marcus Morris, Covington, Batum, one of those like four slash fives, and then you're going to go with, I'd imagine John Wall will be out there, kind of like what we saw tonight. Uh, sheesh. And and probably Norman Powell. I think that would be the five. I don't think Zoo is going to play um, down the stretch of, of meaningful games. He never really has, um, at least not in the playoffs. Uh, Ty Lue loves to go small. Um, so I think I think that's what ends up being. And, and I do want to shout out Ivica Zubats tonight. I thought he was the Clippers' best player tonight, frankly. 100%. Uh, he's yeah, pretty, he's really he's really good. Like, Yeah. He, he's never averaged more than – I think last year was his, his career high in minutes per game. It was like 24. And, like, he, he needs to be on the court so much more than that. Um, they don't have a backup center. Um, so I think we will see a lot more of him this year. Um, but yeah, he's, re- he's really good. He just does his job. Um, and we'll, we'll get into what we, what we were talking about later about who could play on which team, but yeah. he, 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 he definitely deserves to be on the court a lot and he's really good. Yeah. And let's transition into that now. Okay. I, I am, I am definitely a pretty big Evita. I'm excited. Fan. So forgive was, me. Yeah. I thought he was terrific tonight. 17 rebounds, five blocks, did a great job controlling the glass, especially after Anthony Davis went out of the game. But this is where we're going to play a fun game. Uh, how many players on the Clippers roster do you think would be the Lakers' 
third best player right now. So, and this is a Lakers team led by Anthony Davis and LeBron James. So basically how many players on the Clippers do you think are better than Patrick Beverly and okay. Russell Westbrook, like it, you know, in this role where it's a strange. Right, right, right. right. So that means, so literally the third best, not a top. So like, I wouldn't throw Kawhi in there because I would think that he's better than Anthony Davis. You know what I mean? Like let, let's, let's throw, I understand what you're saying, but let's throw Kawhi and Paul George in here as well. Just okay. for like simplicity's sake. All right. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, um, Zubats. Yep. Norm, Norman Powell. That's four. I agree. Uh, I don't know if I can say John Wall quite yet. Um, I, I don't even think it, I think like unequivocally John Wall would be better. Okay. <laughs> Just looking at the speed he had tonight, looking at like the fact that he, he doesn't look like his like best John Wall when he was with the mm-hmm. Wizards and flying up and down the court, but I think we saw enough tonight that would make me go. I think John Wall probably. So that's five. That's five. And I'm looking at the roster right now. I mean, you throw Marcus Morris in there. He'd Six. be more reliable than, than a lot of those dudes. Yep. Um, I'm a, I'm, I'm a huge Terrence Mann fan. I know he only played six minutes, but I think he would, Seven. like you said, he started on a bunch of teams. I think he would be their third best player. So seven. I, I think that's probably where I cut it off at. I would take Reggie Jackson as well. That'd be eight. Okay. I would also. Would you take Batum? <laughs> I would not take Batum. I think I would take Luke Kennard. Because I think Luke Kennard would be like incredibly important as a shooter on this list. Especially for that team. Yeah. 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 That's a good like point. think about adding, you think about adding Luke Kennard on the wing like taking kickouts from LeBron James. Like Luke Kennard is a more important player to that team than Patrick Beverly or Russell Westbrook is. Like if you uh, take, if you take Russell Westbrook out and insert Luke Kennard and they have all those same opportunities, like it's, it's a completely different game. You know what I mean? It's probably a better team at that mm-hmm. point. So I think that that was, that was nine or 10. Um, I think, I think what they played, Oh, Covington as well. I think that Covington would probably be better okay. than Pat Bev. Don't you? I think they'd be pretty similar, but he can shoot a little better and more versatility with his size and stuff. He wouldn't, you know. Yeah. I, he, he's he's probably a better player right now. He's just similar. bigger, right? Like, he's just bigger. He's a bigger Pat Bev. Yeah. Yeah, yeah there, he's a bigger Pat Bev. I think that he's a little bit better off the ball defensively. Pat Bev's a little bit better on the ball defensively. I trust mm-hmm. Covington to shoot a little bit more um, than Pat Bev at this point. So yeah, I, I would say, I would say ten guys. That's ten guys that would be the third best player <laughs> on the Lakers, and I think that that's where we can transition into the Lakers discussion. This team is just under talented right now, and they are an ill fitting group of players, as LeBron alluded to um, on opening night when he talked about the lack of shooting saying they don't exactly have a lot of lasers out there uh, in terms of when he's hitting guys for kickouts. We saw it again tonight. The Lakers shot uh, nine of 45 from three. They shot uh, 
in their backcourt, Lonnie Walker, Patrick Beverly, uh, three of 15 from three. Those are guys that they actually need to shoot. And they shot three of 15 from three last night. Even say that they shoot a more normal number, like six of 15, which is probably aggressive because that's 40% from three, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's still a team that's shooting 12 of 45 from three and relying on Matt Ryan and Juan Toscano and, you know, hoping that LeBron shoots, you know, makes three of eight from three instead of two of eight from three. And he's shooting 37 and a half percent, right? Like this this team just does not have shooting on it. And because of that, the offense really just kind of collapses in on on itself. And you get a lot of these kickout passes where the ball just keeps rotating around and rotating around. And they end up with five seconds left on the shot clock. And sometimes the ball's out of LeBron James's hands and they're screwed at that point. And it's just really weird because, I mean, we've seen we've seen what the recipe for success is on LeBron James' teams throughout his career. Like how many Daniel Gibsons and J.R. Smiths and Mo Williams and Shane Battier, like how many dudes has he played with Danny Green with the Lakers? Like I, I, I really don't understand why you wouldn't surround him with shooting um, for the second straight year. I, I know that they took a little bit of a different approach. Um, this offseason, getting rid of the older guys and bringing in some fresh legs. And, like, that's good and all, but you still got to be able to produce, you know what I mean? And, how, like you said, how many times did, did Patrick Beverly end up with an open shot? Russell Westbrook, Juan Tisano Anderson, you know, Kendrick Nunn was over, over 4 I, I think I would be okay with him shooting threes. I think that he can make them on most nights. Um, right, but, like, you, I, I, don't know if, I don't know if I want him on the court. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he might not be good enough to, like, play mm-hmm. for them because of his defensive liabilities and the fact that he can't score on the interior. So, like, it's hard. Like, and look, we need to be real about this. Like, it is Rob Polinka the summer that, like, totally, like, bungled this, right? Like, they could have tried to re-sign Malik Monk and given him the money that they gave Lonnie Walker. I know that Malik Monk got a little bit more from Sacramento, but they could have tried to have brought him back at the very least. Uh, LeBron, obviously, though, was a spearhead behind the Russell Westbrook move that ultimately left them without guys like Kyle Kuzma uh, and without guys like Kentavious Caldwell-Pope that actually do fit them now. Like Kyle Kuzma is a good wing player that plays on both ends of the court. They just don't have, and and like obviously the Polinka travesty of re-signing Taylor Horton Tucker at the expense of Alex Caruso that like just completely bungled it. It, It's, you know, we, we can talk about LeBron screwing up the roster on some level by pushing for the Russell Westbrook trade, but Rob Polinka has not found shooters in multiple summers now. Uh, and it's just kind of unacceptable if I was a Lakers fan. And I talked about this uh, whenever I talked about why in the world would they choose now to extend Rob Polinka? This is what I meant. I mean, I, we're seeing the results of his offseason this past year. Yeah. And, and honestly, I mean, I don't know. I don't know when he took over the, the position from Mitch Kupchak. I don't remember exactly what year that was. But I mean, you get the greatest player in the world decides he wants to come to LA and, you know, and live in, live in Los Angeles and follow all the, the great Lakers that have ever put that Jersey on. So like, and that gets you a championship, but I mean, really like, I don't know. I'm not going to say he didn't do his job, but 
I mean, you kind of luck into that. The Lakers were going nowhere. I guess that they, you know, they they accumulated some good draft picks with with Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and stuff, and they're kind of building that way. Um, but just a lot of mismanagement of the roster for a lot of years, and you know, it just so happens LeBron walked in and, and kind of saved them. Um, but outside of that, I haven't really been too impressed with um, a lot of the moves that they made. Like the roster that he built for the year that they won the title in the bubble, I think is the exact type of roster that you should be building around LeBron James. You build guys that are two-way players who can shoot around him. Alex Caruso, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Danny Green. You know, obviously, Danny Green played a huge role. Dwight Howard was happy to come in and play a role as a backup center, right? Like, you know, just look, look at the guys they signed. I mean, like Matt Ryan played 13 minutes tonight. And they, Matt they Ryan, need him like, out there. Like all, <laughs> they all need due respect. Shooting. Like all due respect to Matt Ryan, but like this is a guy that like couldn't get minutes at Notre Dame and Vanderbilt, and like had to transfer to Chattanooga, and then like got better and got a chance and became a better shooter and developed. But like, I mean, this is where we're at, right? It, it's it's hard. It's really really hard. I think to look at the job that Rob Polinka has done and feel like this is the thing. And on top of it, I know there were quotes after their opener against Golden State where Polinka was saying basically, you know, we're going to wait 20 games. That, that's what Adrian Wojnarowski reported, that the feeling right now is that they're going to wait 20 games before they make any sort of decision. We've seen enough here. Decision in terms of what, like a trade? Making a potential move to bring in okay. more talent. Uh We've seen enough at this point. This team does not have enough shooting. This team is ill-fitting. And they're still, like, kind of competing. Like, they competed with Golden State for a half, who was the champion last year. They competed with the Clippers, who I think many of us, including myself, and I believe you, after having a mm-hmm. conversation with you in the offseason, think is a very clear title favorite. You know, one of them this year, let's call it. Of course, yeah. This team has a chance. Like I think that that's what the last couple of games actually showed me on some level. This team with LeBron and Anthony Davis does have a chance. They just need to go out and find guys. It, the problem is, like, do you go out and do you wait until this summer? Do you wait until, you know, you don't maybe have to move all of these draft picks to do so. It, it's going to cost both the 2027 and 2029 first rounders to fix this roster, though. Is it worth it? I mean, I think it depends on how much LeBron is going to push for it and if he's going to be, you know, disappointed enough to potentially, like, ask out at a certain point. Uh, there's no indication that he could do that right now. Right. But that that's where the pressure comes, and LeBron is very well established to be willing to pressure an organization with his potential departure, even though he signed an extension this summer. I'm I'm really surprised that it hasn't happened already. Not LeBron asking out, but the trade or some other roster moves. Um, they signed them for, what was it? A two year extension, I believe, or, or something like that. They have them for a few more years. Um, it's, it's like a one plus one basically. Okay. They, they got him in town past this season. Anthony Davis is, is healthy for not like you have two of the better players, two of the best players in the NBA. Why aren't you trying to maximize this window that you have them? Um, it's, it's, it's bizarre to me. Um, Get they're the they're picks, in this man. like the they're picks. in this dead yeah they're in this dead middle zone they they have to commit one way or another like it's weird to say but you either have to move LeBron and Anthony Davis or you have to go in like 
get them help. You can't mm-hmm. just sit in the middle here because that's where things just get useless, right? Like there's no point. This team is not good enough to win a title as currently constructed, just period. This team's probably like not good enough to be in the top six in the West as currently constructed. You have to make a choice here. You have to decide, okay, we want to continue to be in the LeBron James business and continue to try and compete for titles because we have two of the top 10 players in the league. Or like you should be getting rid of them. There's not there's not a reason to do one or the other. And I'm not advocating getting rid of LeBron James. I think they should go the other way and make a move. But man, it's this is the position they're in when you misallocate resources like this. And it's like even small stuff too with Rob Polinka. Like the fact that they did not sign Austin Reeves to a three-year contract and instead gave him a two-year contract. The fact that they gave Lonnie Walker the full mid-level exception this summer is opposed to giving him the full mid-level minus 950 or $980,000 or whatever it is in order to sign Max Christie to a three-year contract. You just drafted mm-hmm. at 35 years old. It's just, it's the little things that continue to crop up for Rob Polinka that have continued to build upon themselves at this point and are, unacceptable when you're trying to build a a real genuine title team after you've torn down your previous title team. Do you, do you think that any of the guys that are hurt for the Lakers right now could contribute like the Troy Browns, the Dennis Schroeders, like, do they make this Lakers team better? Do they help this team win games? I think Dennis Schroeder could, I mean, it seems like they just need offense from him because they can't really get it from anyone not named LeBron or AD. I mean, I guess Lonnie Walker is doing okay, but I don't. It, it's just weird because then you're just going to have another another couple of guards out on the court, another couple of wings, and that can't shoot. I, I don't know. You tell me. I, I think Dennis would help them in the minutes where LeBron is off the court. But Mm -hmm. Dennis is not exactly a reliable shooter. Like even last season, I think he shot something like 33% from three. Uh, I I think that he would help in the minutes that he's off. I don't think he'll help when Mm -hmm. he's on the court with LeBron. Because again, like the problem with the Lakers right now is that LeBron is getting penetration. He's touching the paint and then he's kicking out and guys are just like rotating the ball around because either they can't shoot or they don't want to shoot. And it's resulting in shot clock violations or it's resulting in, you know, shots from guys that aren't high leverage shooters. Right. Um, And I think that that's the real significant issue. If you're kicking out to Dennis Schroeder now, you're you're not going to take the ball out of LeBron's hands to put it in Dennis Schroeder's hands, because why on earth would you do that? So you're going to be kicking out to Dennis again. And I guess you can make the case that like Dennis can redrive and then try and kick it out again, but then you're just restarting the process of getting the team scrambling again. That's what and, most of them are doing right now. Anyways, you know, and LeBron is doing that already. So yeah, yeah I don't know if he's, I, I don't like Dennis might help in the minutes where LeBron is off and that's a genuine value add, but like, I don't, I don't think it's enough of a value add to matter. I don't Troy Brown's just not a shooter. Thomas Bryant, Thomas like probably, yeah. He probably helps them just insofar as they don't have to play Damian Jones for seven minutes a night. But like Thomas Bryant has some defensive issues that will yeah. crop up again and again. So I'm, I'm skeptical. I think they need to make a pretty substantial move. I think that that move probably involves 
you know, going back to the well with Indiana and seeing if you can get Buddy healed uh, or seeing if you can get Miles Turner or both of them. Hope that maybe by the trade deadline, maybe by, you know, a different time, they relent and only ask for one first round pick instead of two first round picks. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't think they need to wait 20 games to to revisit that either, but eh. But the problem is there, though, like if they, they should absolutely revisit it. But the problem is now the Pacers know they fucking have the Lakers over a barrel. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. So I, I would have some real concerns about that happening right now, because I think it would involve both picks. And I don't know that it's totally worth doing both picks. The, the deal that is just like crazy to me is like Boyan Bogdanovich went for peanuts just because like he didn't have any more like he they were able to clear the books mm-hmm. uh with moving him it, it's it's surprising to me that the jazz and lakers couldn't come to some sort of agreement to do like a boy on mike conley boy on jordan clarkson kind of deal yeah i wonder uh, what the holdup is or was yeah with that. he looked really good in, in the opener boy yeah. did and it's clear too that and we'll talk about that in a minute because we're gonna talk about that game but like um it's like based off of reporting from our Tony Jones over at the athletic that that deal was on the table, but it felt like Danny Ainge again, it feels like all of these other GMs feel like they have the Lakers over a barrel and they're just negotiating so aggressively, hoping that they're the team that gets lucky and the Lakers finally agree to a bad deal. Right. Mm -hmm. And that makes it hard to get a deal done. So it's hard, but I, I think we know at this point this team is not good enough and they need to yeah. do something. And what that something is, we'll see. Yeah. Um, they're competing, like you said, but competing yeah. doesn't doesn't get you wins. Like if you compete and don't get wins for another two or three weeks, suddenly you're what, I don't know, three and eight, three and nine, and you know, and just go south pretty quickly. It goes south pretty quickly. That's a good way to put it. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So... When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. 
malware trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24 seven game theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account, nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough Uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, let's go to the first game tonight. I don't know how much I really want to talk about Milwaukee didn't have Chris Middleton still won the game on the road against the Philadelphia 76ers. This is a team that looked like what we thought they were going to look like on the other side. The Philadelphia 76ers are now Owen two. They've lost to two teams that they are ostensibly going to be competing with at the top of the Eastern conference in Boston mm-hmm. and uh, Milwaukee. How are we feeling about the Philadelphia 76ers after these first two games? Feeling like they're not very creative with what they're doing. Um, I mean, it's a it's a James Harden not led team, but a, a James Harden heavy team. So lots of ISO, lots of pick and rolls. Um, defenses are going to switch when they don't switch. He can kind of take advantage uh, to a certain extent and get downhill and you know throw the lob or, or get to his mid range. Um, I don't like what they're what they're doing with Joel and beat. Um, He's on the perimeter a lot, which I guess is, is kind of just part of his game and how he likes to operate. But there's nothing there's nothing easy for him. You know, they, they try to get him touches in the mid post and in the low post, um, but he doesn't make quick decisions. A double team usually comes. He's not great out of the double teams. He just looks really frustrated out there. Um, I don't know what he finished with tonight, 15 points maybe. He's basically a non-factor in the second half. Um, yeah. they just got to be more creative. There, there's no creativity with the, with the offense right now. And that's how you end up with 88 points. Yeah. So it was I don't know. not great. Not great. And they also not need great. their bench to, to do something at some point too. I know it's pretty early and they're still trying to figure things out. I thought the, uh, D'Anthony Melton was, was pretty decent tonight. Um, still nothing from Montrezl Harrell through two games. Um, nothing from Matisse Tybalt, not even really playing. Uh, Niang, you know, Daniel Daniel House, like they're, they're, they're really not getting anything from their bench either, and I think that's part of the problem. And their bench is good. Like we yeah. – the reason why I was so high on them, I think that they could finish, or at least uh, in my predictions before the season, I thought that they could finish with at least a top two uh, record in the East. I thought they were really good was because they're, you know, this is the best – the deepest team of Joel Embiid's career and yep. best put together and, you know, that tons of depth and that, that needs to be something that they can rely on. And it's early, it's only been two games, but that's, that's something that they're going to need to, to get corrected to. I think the depth is a good call. I think the depth is one reason 
if I was a Sixers fan, I I would be a little bit worried. I also think that you hit the nail on the head in terms of the offensive structures. There's just a lack of synergy between wanting to run high ball screen James Harden offense, which doesn't involve a lot of ball movement. You're going to involve, you know, one five ball screens with Joel Embiid and James Harden and hope that you can create buckets that way. And Joel Embiid, who wants his touches in the mid post, and is just big. Like, you've played with, like, big, enormous dudes in the past. Like, it takes up space. Like, they're just big. They're big human beings, and they take up space. And that is harder than to drive. It's harder than your help is just right there when you're coming on drives. And it becomes a little bit more complicated. That That is something I think they're spacing, what they're trying to run, finding different avenues. That is something that is a real question for me. It worries me a little bit. And the fact that Doc Rivers is their coach is the thing that worries me greatest here because he is not the most offensively creative mind, let's call it, in trying to make these things happen. And And mostly everything is in the half court, you know, like they mm-hmm. don't. They don't really get out and run. The only one that really wants to do that is is Maxi, and it really pops when he does. Um, he had yep. a couple of good leakouts today, where James threw him like some some football type passes down down the court. Um, he's really probably the only one that can break someone down off the dribble and get to the basket or, or turn the corner. Um, and it just looks so like crazy when he when he does it because it's so rare uh, with yep. this team. You talk about PJ Tucker, Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris. Um, James Harden, like these guys aren't really going to do that. Um, they don't really have that athleticism at this point in their careers. Um, so it, it's, just, it's just really interesting They're, the style of basketball that they play. But I guess we kind of knew uh, what it was going to be. It's just, I don't know, kind of difficult to watch, especially when they're not executing. So, so here's the thing that gives me real belief that this is fine. Like I, I'm – I'm not worried right now if I'm the 76ers. This is a team integrating a lot of new pieces. They got better defensively from game one to game two. Although I think Boston does just have a real schematic advantage on them, being able to run ball screen after ball screen after ball screen with real pull-up shooters like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Malcolm Brogdon even, to an extent. He had a terrific game. Uh, That's a real problem that I think Philadelphia schematically is going to have to figure out how to manage. The reason that I'm not worried is James Harden looks like the James Harden of old at this point. That is just Mm -hmm. the reality. He has been phenomenal in both of their two games. He has his deceleration, his ability to stop faster than anyone else in the league. Uh, That is something that has always been his superpower, and he has that back now. Joel Embiid, it seems like, is working his way back into shape. He looks slow. He he Mm -hmm. looks... I don't want to say like actually heavy in terms of weight, but he's playing with like heavy legs almost. He's plodding. He's plodding around. Yeah. Like Joel Embiid can plod from time to time, but not like this. This is a different level of plod is the way to put it, I guess. Uh, In that it shows in transition, right? Like the Sixers transition defense is a mess right now. They're, yeah. they're just getting beaten down the court way too regularly. It's driving Doc Rivers crazy, it seems like. And that's 
something that they're going to have to manage. That's something that maybe you could make a case Matisse Thibel would help. Uh, but the thing is, like Matisse Thibel isn't going to help their spacing on offense, which is something that is a real concern for them moving forward. But the more I think about it, the more I'm just like, this is a team integrating new pieces like DeAnthony Melton and PJ Tucker. And they're probably going to be fine because James Harden looks like he has like the James Harden top 10 player in the league skill back that we've all come to hope for from him. And and honestly, like to add on to the point about not really panicking yet and just being patient with it, like in addition to all of that, they just played probably the the two best teams in the East. You know what I mean? Like the two legitimate championship contenders in Milwaukee and Boston um, that have been together uh, for a while. Like they're not, they're not throwing in new guys like, yeah, Malcolm Brogdon's coming off the bench, but like those, those teams have, have a core that they've played with for a while and that they've won with and know how to play with. So um, you got to look at it that way too. Um, So I wouldn't, I wouldn't be panicking, but there are some concerns, like you said, especially the, the matchup specific ones, like with Boston, um, you know, the style of play, the pace, uh, not having a bunch of athleticism, not getting much from the bench yet, uh, but it's still early. Um, but yeah, they, they did play against the two teams that realistically could beat them in the playoff series. I don't think there are too many other teams in the East that they'd have to worry about. Yeah. On, on the Boston front, I will say uh, Jalen Brown looks awesome. <laughs> like mm-hmm. Jalen Brown looks like he is a real shot to make an all NBA team this year. And I think a big part of it is that based off of game one, this could be that Philadelphia's transition defense is just a mess. And Boston felt like they could push after the first quarter and continue to do so. But Boston looks like they're going to try and play faster under Joe Missoula. The ability to play faster really fits into what Jalen Brown is best at because he's so good at sprinting down the court. He's so fast. He's obviously so graceful as an athlete, explosive, getting some early transition buckets will be helpful for him. I think he's going to average 25 points a game this year. He's going to be a terrific on ball defender. He looks like he has improved that pace uh, on his dribble and on his attacks to an even greater extent than what we've mm-hmm. seen previously. Yeah, Jalen Brown looks like he's taken another step forward based off of game one at least. And we saw we saw glimpses of it um, last season for sure, definitely during the playoffs where, you know, definitely. it was debatable, you know, who was the better player on a night-to-night basis. Him and, him and Tatum would kind of rotate. Um, I'm just looking for him to continue to clean up some of the things that kind of plagued him and, and especially in the finals, it was very obvious, you know, dribbling through contact, getting downhill and, and making decisions without second guessing and, and dribbling off his foot, you know, just little things like that. Um, but, yeah, like you said, him in transition is a nightmare. He's super fast, incredibly athletic, plays above the rim. Um, you know, I think that that style of play is going to fit them under under Missoula, especially when a guy like Rob Williams comes back. And he'll be able to get up and down the court as well and and play above the rim. Um, You know, just his shot blocking and stuff on the defensive end is going to ignite a lot of those opportunities too. So, um, yeah, super interesting uh, observation from you there about them playing faster. Uh, I'm I'm definitely going to watch for that. Yeah, and 
maybe it was just Philadelphia's transition defense being bad. Like, we'll, we'll see. But it does seem like that is an emphasis under Joe Missoula, if only because every new coach, as you know, I'm sure, says, uh, yeah, we're going to get up and down the court. We're going to play fast. Mm-hmm. You've never heard a new coach that steps in and says, always in the beginning no, of the season, too. Guys yeah. are fresh. Yeah. No, we're, we're going to slow it down this year. Like we're, we're going to, we're not going to play an exciting brand of basketball. Uh, Okay. Let's jump to a couple of games from last night. The Detroit Orlando game was the most fun game I've seen so far this year. Uh, Jaden Ivey and Paula Bancaro in their debuts, they absolutely balled out. It was so fun to watch those two play and so fun to watch those two uh, play so well in their debuts. Obviously, we got a terrific Kate Cunningham performance. We got solid Franz Wagner and Jalen Suggs performances. Just everything that you could want if you want to see these young, talented teams go head-to-head against each other, we got it in that game, and that was what was so exciting about it. Yeah, and like on top of that, you you come away from that game specifically thinking like, man, these two teams are going to be good like for a while, and they're going to be fun. They're going to be entertaining while these young guys – and and. The thing that I take away from from Paolo and Jaden specifically is like they just don't care. Like, yeah, yeah. they play through mistakes. They're not afraid to to take a shot. They're not as afraid to try to make a play, turn the ball over. Like, I, I thought it was I thought it was great to see. I know that helps when you're playing around other um, young ish players as well. Like, you don't have to worry about vets being upset, or if you're on like a contending team, uh, you don't have to overthink things uh, in that regard. But yeah, um, and, and even. Jalen Duran, is it Duran or Duran? I, I go back and forth. I've, Duran, Duran. I thought he looked really good too. Like he's he's a man. Like he's a man child. Um, <laughs> I know. I know. Beef Stew is a man child as well. But like he's an athletic one, and uh, I think he finished with like fourteen and ten or something like that. Yeah. Yep, fourteen and ten. Uh, didn't really look. In my opinion, at least his body and stuff like that, like he was a rookie. Um, he fit right in on court. He's contesting shots. He's finishing at the rim. The the energy that we've always seen him play with, he played with that. Um, I'm Yeah, they're going to be exciting. Detroit's going to be an exciting team. And then you throw on top of that the addition of Bogdanovich, which which we touched on a little bit earlier. He looked phenomenal. Cade is, is just setting the tempo out there and playing at his own pace and uh, I mean, they're playing against Orlando, so I don't know if we're going to see stuff like that on a nightly basis. But uh, just to know that it's there and to see it so early on in the season uh, is pretty exciting. Yeah, look, like we, we can talk about like Paulo throwing down all over Corey Joseph and looking incredible and having 27, 9, and 5. I actually like Jaden a little bit more in that mm-hmm. game. And uh, uh, the only reason why is – there was this stretch in the second half to start the second half where they ran back-to-back dribble handoff plays for Jaden. And on the first one, Terrence Ross went like five feet under it, uh, covering it, and Jaden just flattened out and shot it, right? And it was like, okay, like, you know, if he can do that, it's going to be just even more dangerous. So the next time down, they ran it the same thing again on the opposite side of the court. Jaden comes screaming around from the corner, uh, takes the dribble handoff from Isaiah Stewart. And instead of going under because he just made the three Orlando goes over 
uh, and tries to like chase him around because it's Jalen Suggs that's guarding him this time. And even Jalen Suggs, who I think is an incredible like young defender, who's incredibly mm-hmm. fast and athletic and like theoretically should be a match for Jaden Ivy in that way. He just couldn't keep up. And you just look at the power and explosion and that the way that those two things intersect and how he just drives off of that back foot and covers so much distance on like his final step as he's gathering to go up. Man, you can just see the outlines of how it's going to be so, so dangerous and how it's going to be incredibly hard to guard him uh, whenever he actually gets the jump shot and really, right. really nails it down because it's it's not quite there yet, but it's close. And oh, my goodness, you, you could just see the outlines of him being. He's not unstoppable yet. But you could see the outlines of him getting to that level at some point. And then when you, you know, throw in another year or two of development, like with his body maturing and getting real NBA weight room development and stuff like that, like when he puts on 10 to 15 pounds of muscle, like him going to the rim is going to be even more challenging for teams to stop when he's throwing his body all around the way he does. He's already a pretty good size. He's he's not thin or anything like that. But when he gets even more muscle and he can take contact in the air, like he's going to be a nightmare to deal with when he's when he's turning downhill. Um, but yeah, the, the, the jump shot obviously is going to be the thing that takes him over the top. Um, it'll prevent teams from being able to go into screens, you know, even if he can't get all the way to the rim, if he turns the corner off a pick and roll, just pulling up in the mid range. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm extremely encouraged. I'm excited to watch him play too. Um, just this whole Detroit team, man. I know Orlando is exciting too. We saw a lot of good things from, from Jalen Suggs. Uh, I don't know how many times he's going to hit. However many threes it was, but the shot looks better. Um, he was definitely yep. hot. He was feeling it. Um, I, I'm I'm happy for him. I know he had a rough rookie season, um, but I just don't want people to give up on him at this point. Um, so it was good to see him get a, get a good one under his belt the first game, and we'll see what happens when Cole Anthony comes back and, you know, Markel Fultz eventually. Lots of players on this team that are, that are pretty interesting. Yeah, and, you know, let's move to Paulo now. Paulo went for 27 points, nine rebounds, and five assists on 11 of 18 shooting. Uh, In the first quarter, he scored their first two buckets, and then, like, three possessions later, contested a boy on shot at the rim, rebounded it, grabbed and went, and just, like, completely under control at pace, went, like, crossover, crossover again between the legs pound dribble into another between the legs and then like a hezzy pull up all in like a 10 second span and you're just like holy shit this guy is six foot ten you shouldn't be doing this you know what i mean yeah a tank (laughs) just an absolute tank i think i either saw a tweet or i must have heard something about um i think the most points in a rookie debut since lebron if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to be wrong about that, but I think that's what I... Yeah, I'd I believe it. I, I don't know if that's accurate, but I would believe it. Yeah. Yeah, and he did it at, at all levels and all aspects of the offensive end. Even on defense, he was, he was pretty good too, but he's getting to the rim. He's finishing, obviously, the the dunk on Corey Joseph. Um, he's getting to the pull-up. Like, he just looked really in control out there. Like, he didn't, he didn't look like he was too bothered. Obviously, he had some, like, inexperienced turnovers and whatnot, but... Yeah. Yeah, you don't worry about that. 
Yeah, not not for a guy that's a nineteen year old that's six foot ten that's like grabbing and going and like you know stringing together multiple complicated moves off the bounce and you know knocking down an eighteen footer all in like ten seconds, right? Uh, I'll be honest, I thought he was pretty bad defensively. Um, mm-hmm. He showed some promise around the basket, but I thought Boyan just like absolutely caught him a lot of the mm-hmm. time. But that's a 33 year old who's been around the block and knows exactly how to run off of a screen and beat Paulo to the spot that he wants mm-hmm. and then like force the heavy close out and then just like dribble right next to him and get a wide open three. Right. So like, yeah, I'm not real worried about it, but it was just a phenomenal game. It was so much fun. You mentioned Jalen Suggs. Jalen Suggs is a favorite on this podcast and, okay, you know, knocking down four threes, the turnovers in the first half were pretty rough, but knocks down four threes. The third quarter, he was the guy that we saw at Gonzaga, super aggressive, you know, completely confident, completely under control, but also just like a dynamic transition player. Uh, good feel in ball screens. He just needs to keep developing the handle. That's that's the thing for him. The, the swing skill is, is he going to be able to handle the ball at a level of an NBA point guard? Mm-hmm. If he is... He's got all the tools athletically. I think he'll figure the rest of it out. Um, he needs to be just have that little bit more control over the ball. I think sometimes he just loses it a little bit. Yeah, his his defense is definitely his calling card right now. Like I think it's a, it's yeah. a lot further along than his offense. Um, totally. But we saw we saw some strides at least through one game. Um, you're a big fan of Suggs. I'm a big fan of Franz Wagner. I think he's I, I think he's him. a really good love player too. too. He just gets it. He just yeah. does stuff. Like he just does stuff to help you win. He doesn't really make too many mistakes. He doesn't try to do too much. He's efficient with everything he does. Uh, yeah. I think he's gonna have a big year too. He'll he'll kind of get lost in the sauce a little bit with, with Paulo being there and whatnot, but yeah. He's a good he's a good player. And this is a team that just like I will also we'll we'll finish on this. Um this Orlando team just like desperately needs Cole Anthony and Gary Harris to get healthy because I, I was like, honestly sitting there wondering like, is Jamal Mosley like tanking their bench units? But then I looked at their bench and I was like, Oh no. Like they just kind of have to play bowl bowl and they have RJ to play. Hampton, yeah. Yeah. RJ Hampton. And you know, Caleb Houston has to be the first guy off the bench as a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like as Ross started, I believe. Right, yeah. like you know, you bring back Gary Harris. Maybe you slide Terrence Ross to the bench, and he gets to run the bench units a little bit more. I think that would be really helpful. Um, the Bull Bull Mo Bamba combination last night was it was tough. I, I looked it up because I was just I was watching it and I was like, this is hideous offensively. They had in nine minutes, they had a 75 offensive rating with mm-hmm. a 120 defensive rating. And it felt that way watching it. It wasn't just one of those things where you're looking at numbers and it's like, oh no, this the, the numbers don't line up. The tape and the numbers lined up in this case. We, we can't have those two playing together all that often. Um but yeah, I mean, we didn't talk a lot about Detroit. What, what were your impressions of Cade Cunningham year two? I guess is what I would say. It checks all the boxes still, like super under control. Um, yep. Doesn't get sped up. Really good at running an offense. Not going to try to do too much. Um, I don't know what he shot from three, but his jumper looked like it was a, it was a little bit smoother. Um, he was more confident. He was stepping into to some catch and shoot threes. Um, I just think he's a good player. I mean, he's never going to, 
wow you with like highlight plays and dunking on people or doing anything crazy, but he just knows what he's doing out there. Um, he seems like a very mature beyond his years uh, player. It doesn't seem like it's his second second year in the NBA. You know what I mean? Like he seemed like one of the older guys out there. Yeah. The three games I focused on yesterday were Orlando, Detroit, uh, Atlanta, and uh, the Rockets, because I wanted to see some of the Rockets young guys. And I really wanted to see what the DeJounte Murray, Trey Young fit looked like. What, what were your impressions of that in its early stages? Um, it was good to see Trey get off the ball a little bit more. Uh, there were a yeah. few more actions for him off the ball. Um, um, I'm still a little bit unsure with DeJounte on the offensive end. Um, he kind of seems like he needs to have the ball in his hand to to run some things. He's not a great shooter and not a great scorer, but like defensively, I think he helps a lot. Obviously, we knew he's one of the better wing defenders in the NBA, incredibly long arms. Gets a ton of, of you know, poke your hand in their steals from, from the weak side or from the gaps. Um, so he's he's fun. He's exciting in that way. Um, I'm, I still have a, a few reservations about what it could look like offensively with those two. Yeah. Um, I think most do. I think that you you probably do as well. Um, I do. But, I mean, I'm not I'm not mad at it. I like the swing. Um, I like the trade. I like the the swing on the the talent upgrade. Um, I think they just need more reps to for me to really. Uh, come to a conclusion about what they could be, what their what their potential is. But I think it's still a work in progress. But I wasn't I wasn't too like on either end uh, after after yesterday's game. Honestly, yeah. Like I'll be honest, I didn't love it yesterday. It felt like they were still trying to really figure each other out. But that's to be expected, you know. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like this was going to be smooth sailing from game one with two guys that are as ball dominant. Mm-hmm as DeJounte Murray and Trey Young have been throughout the course of their career. DeJounte Murray literally averaged more dribbles per touch, or no, I'm sorry, Trey Young averaged more dribbles per touch than any player in the NBA last year. And that's complicated, and that's going to be a hard thing for Nate McMillan to figure out over the course of their first 20 games together, let's say. Uh I thought it was a little bit rough yesterday. Part of it was the Trey didn't shoot super well, especially early right. in the game. Um, I think when Trey is shooting, it's a little bit different, obviously. I thought their best offense was just like going to John Collins, who almost really always had. Yesterday. Yeah, he almost always had one of Jabari Smith or Tari Eason on him. And I think both Jabari and Tari are going to be incredible defenders long term in the NBA. But they were rookies playing their first game and they were playing against one of the 10 best, like four man offensive players in the league. And they just had no shot. (laughs) So it was just throw the ball into John Collins and let shit happen. Like I I felt like that was their best source, especially in the second and third quarters. And then Nate McMillan kind of went away from that for Mm -hmm. some reason. And Houston came back like midway through the fourth quarter. Weird team. Weird team. Very weird team. <laughs> Atlanta, right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Yeah. They, like you said, just weird. I don't even know how to explain it. A weird team. Um, I did I did like um, Okongu. Yeah. I thought he played well. I thought he played better than Capella. Um, it, it was good to see Agreed. him out there and how well he was using his body and stuff, especially on the defensive end. 
Um, it was, yeah, it was I, fun too to watch the the uh, a Kong Wu Shangun battle mm-hmm. because Shangun kind of caught him a couple times on post ups in the first half, and then a Kong Wu like processed it and figured it out on the fly and realized Shangun always wants to go back to the baseline. He wants to get the ball on the right block, take mm-hmm. a few dribbles, then go, you know. Right. turn over that left shoulder and go baseline and the Kong would just like stood him up multiple times after he got mm-hmm. caught once or twice. Um, and then he was really good as a defensive rebounder, really effective as a weak side rim protector. Yeah. I, I thought that Onyeka was awesome in that game. I thought he was really, really good. And then on the other, on the other side, I thought that uh, Bruno Fernando was, was really good too. Um, I really didn't know what to expect from him. Uh, just, Really hasn't done much in his NBA career. Um, not that he's had many opportunities to, but I thought he was really good. Like, especially he did some things like out of the pick and roll where he'd find Jabari Smith on the short roll in the corner yeah. or somebody like that. Like, he was, he was processing the game really well. Um, I thought that was important for them. My my kind of concern before the season, not with him, but just with the team in general and Jabari uh, stepping into his role was that it would kind of look like how it did in the summer league in the beginning where, you know, he doesn't really get a ton of looks. He has to, you know, he's, he's playing with guys that like to have the ball in their hands and kind of get in their bag, a lot of younger guys. But um, the offense, it looked a little bit better than what I thought it would be. Um, he was definitely more aggressive um, than, than I imagined he would be, which was good, which was great. Um, he's, he's, he's an incredible shooter. I know he didn't make a lot yesterday, but as long as he's getting up those catch and shoot threes, off the swing swing or off the reversal, like attacking closeout, one dribble, get to the mid-range, get all the way to the rim. Like I really liked his game. Um it wasn't super efficient yesterday in his first outing, but like I was I, I came away extremely encouraged. Like he's not he's not being shy out there. He's not being passive. He's playing to his strengths. He's not trying to do too much. Um I think as he gets more game reps, um yeah under his belt he's going to be fine on the offensive end defensively he looked good as well obviously that's one of his yeah. calling cards um sometimes he'll lose the battle because of his frame um and that yeah. just comes with being a young player but i thought i thought he looked good out there yeah and like not totally knowing how to use his frame almost like it, it felt like john collins like just was able to establish position whenever he wanted mm-hmm. when Jabari was on him. Um, like he, it felt like Jabari like didn't quite have a great base yet to mm-hmm. be able to like really stand him up, but you know, that'll come. You're right. That'll come as he gets stronger. Uh, I'm glad you brought up Bruno Fernando. Cause I think it caught a lot of Rockets fans by surprise mm-hmm. when Bruno Fernando started over Alperin Shangun. I thought he was better than Shangun yesterday. I know Shangun went for 15 and nine, but he had six turnovers and got hit pretty hard defensively. Fernando did his job. He had seven assists in that game, by the way. Right. Yep. Uh, really glad you brought up the passing. I thought that was a great observation. Like he, he was just really sharp in the short roll and made the right reads and just knew how to do it. I thought it was, I thought it was awesome. I, th- I thought it was so, so good. Uh, and that's what that team needs, right? Yeah, that's what that team needs. A, a, a young team with guys that like to have the ball in their hands and kind of do their own thing and get in their bag. Like, you need someone who's going to not necessarily play the right way, but get the ball moving and set people up yeah. naturally. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? I thought that was, that was good to have a guy out there like that who doesn't just demand the ball in the post and kind of slow the game down and, you know, 
I, I thought that was, I didn't know that it resulted in seven assists. So that's uh, <laughs> two, two blocks, nine rebounds. Yeah, three for three from the field. Wasn't trying to do too much. Like I thought he was very solid. Yeah, it was it was really, really good. It was really fun. Okay. We're we're gonna close on Poku corner here. Uh you, you did not watch this Minnesota game, if I remember correctly, right, Cole? I just saw highlights. I didn't see the game, no. So uh this is obviously uh Alexei Pokushevsky podcast, first and foremost, above all. Um Pokuism is our religion on this show. And Poku had the most Alexei Pokushevsky game I've ever seen in my life. He was really good for like 18 minutes. He was solid. Like he dealt with Rudy Gobert. He dealt with Carl Towns when he was on him. It's the hardest matchup in the world. Like you have to deal with both of these enormous seven footers, probably the toughest matchup for a big in the NBA. And he's not even really a five man. He dealt really well for the first 18, 20 minutes, something like that. He was on the court. And then the last two minutes happened. He decides it's Poku time and with like four minutes left and being like a three or four point game, he goes like Euro step, like step through into this weird scoop shot that he took like from his hip. Didn't hit any rim whatsoever. He banged it off the glass as hard as he could. <laughs> I can see it in my head for some reason, like the Euro step part. Yeah. Comes back down the next possession, uh, takes like a pick and roll, gets open, totally smokes a layup, gets the ball the next possession on like a trailer three with 17 seconds left on the shot clock, bricks it. <laughs> and and then, is this like, all with is, is Shea in the game and Josh Giddy in the yeah. game? Like. Oh, it's it's like four minutes left in the game. They have like it's a three point game. It's everything's hanging in the balance. Everyone's on the court, and then he like misses another shot on the next possession. And Mark Dagnall was like, "We got to end this." Uh, I, I immediately texted friend of the program Andrew Schlecht. Uh, we got. 18 minutes of perfectly acceptable acceptable Poku basketball tonight. Then he pulled down his pants and took a shit on the floor and set it on fire on fire for two minutes. I'm so happy to be experiencing this with you again. There is no experience like the Alexei Pokushevsky experience. Uh, and the game the, the game was close, right? I, I feel like from the highlights, yeah. I saw that Minnesota kind of pulled away in the last couple of minutes. So I'm sure That's that why. contributed. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. <laughs> It was the best. It's so good. Uh, I, I love it. I, the Poku corner will be a corner on this podcast this year, uh, especially if he's starting at the five and gets to play every night. Uh, there, there are these two minute stretches every single game where these things happen, where he just pulls down his pants and takes a shit and sets it on fire on the court. And the rest of it's like totally good and acceptable. Like before that he was, I think like three of six from the field and was second on the team in points and was doing well. And then, like, he just completely ended it. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm best. gonna, I'm just gonna be super locked into Poku now. Now that I know that this is a segment on the show, I'm, I yeah. kid you not, I'm gonna be super locked into him. I'm gonna, I got the league pass. I'm gonna watch all Thunder games. I, I need to get in on these text messages with you and whatnot so we can talk about Poku. Yeah, this is it. Uh, Andrew Schlecht is just, uh, I'm so glad that he and all of the down to dunk guys get to experience this on a nightly basis. Cause I'm so glad that I do. 
Uh, Cole, any, any other takeaways you want to get off your chest before we're out of here on the show? Uh, what other games did I watch? Uh, Donovan Mitchell, I thought looked really good. Um, still haven't caught that one yet. I haven't caught that one. He looked pretty good. Uh, I'm trying to think of all the games that I watched. Uh, oh, New Orleans looked great. Zion looked amazing. Um, yep. they look like they're going to be a real force in the West. Um, as long as they're healthy and whatnot, but they're such a fun team to watch. Um, yeah, I, I think those are the two I think of off the top of my head. Um, Donovan Mitchell and New Orleans. I'm I'm super excited to watch New Orleans play this year, man. Like, yeah, they they they're giving me Memphis of last year vibes, like a youngish team that has a nice little end of season run. The season before gets to the playoffs, makes some noise, and then take off the next year. And I'm I'm kind of expecting that from them. I don't know. Um, I mean, it was a little bit different last year with, with Memphis because the West was kind of beat up with injuries and whatnot. Um, and the West is loaded this year, but like still the same vibes, like incredibly fun. They got all the players that, that you love to watch, whether it's Ingram, Zion, CJ getting in his bag, Herb Jones defending, like Willie Green seems like a, a cool dude, an incredible coach. Like, yeah, he does. I, I'm, I'm just getting those vibes from them. So I think that's, that's, probably the team I'm the most excited to watch about just on a nightly basis. Yeah. Every year there's one of these young teams that like completely breaks out, right? Like two years ago, it was Phoenix. Um, they make the run to the finals with Chris Paul and Devin Booker and Mikhail Bridges and Deandre Ayton. Right. And they had the one older guy and it's always that mm-hmm. there's just like one older guy on the team. It feels like Memphis last year, the older guy was not necessarily a star. It was Steven Adams, but like one of the best old guys to have around and you know, mm-hmm. to say Steven Adams is old. I think he's still Steven Adams might be younger than you even at this point, like, mm-hmm. which is like the craziest thing in the world. Um, I feel like he's been around for like 20 years. He played with Westbrook yeah, and Durant, didn't he? Yeah. Like he was drafted after them. And it yeah. feels like, like he was drafted like multiple years after them, even um, it just feels like he's been around forever. Uh, and, this year, it's obviously Zion and it's Brandon Ingram playing like the, you know, Devin Booker role combined and then Mikael Bridges and DeAndre role combined. And then you have all these great young guys like Trey Murphy and Herb Jones. And I think even Dyson Daniels is going to play a role uh, at some point this year for them. Uh, and then you have CJ McCollum playing like the Chris Paul role to compare the, to continue the analogy to the Phoenix Suns that year. I mean, man, it's just such a, such a fun group of players. And like, Oh, by the way, they have one of the seven best centers in the league and Jonas Valanciunas and nobody talks about it because we're all worried about what the fit looks like um, Mm -hmm. with Zion. And at the end of the day, they might just be so talented that they figure it out and make it work. So that that's probably the team that I'm most excited to watch. Uh, do they play tomorrow night? I wonder if they do, or if I'm just going to have to go back and watch the um, demolition against the Nets. I, I think I would prefer not to. Oh, they God. Play they play the tomorrow. Oh, goodness. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Charlotte whooped the shit out of San Antonio, apparently. I absolutely did not watch a second of that game. But, like, maybe maybe Charlotte's better than I'm expecting. I mean, it's, that, that seems like a bad matchup for them, though. Uh, yeah. Uh, I would. I would. Yeah. I'd put money on New Orleans tomorrow for sure. It's only six and a half. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm, I'm taking them to cover that spread. 
<laughs> Six and a half is not a lot of points. Uh, it's not a lot of points for that team, I don't think. Uh, Cole, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on. This is my segment, huh? All right. Um, yeah, Got to remember it all. Uh, at, at, uh, at Cole Hoops is my Twitter handle. Um, you can follow my work for The Athletic. I have a weekly column um, that will begin – Next week, I usually drop on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, so look out for that. Um, I also write for 213 Hoops. I, I cover the Clippers, um, so I'll have some stuff going up probably in the next week or so. Um, and also Bet for the Win, uh, where I cover betting, all types of sports, NBA, NFL, whatever you can think of. And, um, yeah, that's that's where you can find me. Just just follow me on Twitter, as I always say. You'll see some stuff get retweeted and, and reposted and stuff, and you can go from there. And then, um, yeah, until until next time, I guess hopefully we can get back on, get back on the pod and do something similar pretty soon. Uh, this is, is is one of my favorite things to do during the season for sure. Get to talk with yeah. talk with you. Um, I don't know how many people have heard the other podcasts that I've been on with you, but um, you obviously covered me when I was in college and stuff like that. So like it's it's just like a cool moment, like for me to be in this position oh, in the media yeah yeah it's cool like i'm doing what like the person that was watching me play like it, it's just it's just cool i don't really know how to explain it but like it, and uh, by the way like, like the know, funny thing is that you're not that much younger than me like i'm like 32 mm-hmm. like let's not go nuts here I, but i'm not trying to paint you out to awesome. be yeah i'm not trying to paint you out to be like uh like the chris paul of the podcast i guess if we're still talking about analogies and whatnot yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But yeah, you covered oh, me though. I, I'm just speaking facts. I did. It's fucking yeah. awesome. It was great. Yeah. Uh, I really it, it, it was it was awesome. Like watching you play because you know stretch four just out there sniping from three. We need to get you on the Lakers. That's the goal. You still, <laughs> you still got the jumper, right? Oh, uh, it never leaves. It's just the other. I was gonna say that's leave. probably the one thing that never leaves. Yeah, yeah. Touch touch lasts forever, but the legs and stuff don't. So <laughs> just give me a few weeks to get ready. Uh, yeah you know like you said the legs the legs it might take a little more than a few weeks might take a little while. <laughs> yeah yeah that was generous uh, uh so i actually wrote for this week at the athletic i wrote three columns that are like 4500 words a piece breaking down the top 20 guards top 20 wings top 20 bigs in college basketball the top 20 bigs one goes up in five or six hours i think something like that um the top 20 wings and top 20 guards, they're already up. Please send me your feedback. This is something that I try to come up with. And frankly, like I spend way too much time talking to coaches and like scouts trying to figure out uh, when in reality, like arbitrarily picking between leaky black at number 23 and Matt Morell at number 17, it's like a toss up at the end of the day. Right. And everyone gets super angry when you have, you know, even though it's a toss up, you have one guy ranked 16 and one guy like just slightly off. Uh, Kentucky fans were not super pleased with me about not having Chris Livingston today. And I had him at like 26 or something. So please go follow those. Send me your tweets. I may or may not read them. Uh, And if I do read them, I will respond. Uh, I will be back on Sunday with spins. We're probably going to dive more into the rookie class that has all of their debuts. I wanted to talk a lot about Paulo and Jaden today because I just loved that basketball game that we saw with Detroit and Orlando. But 
Uh, we'll talk more about like the entire rookie class as a whole on Sunday night going into Monday morning. I still haven't seen like, for instance, the Ben Matherin game. Uh, I heard that he was terrific for Indiana. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk more about the rookies as we've seen them uh, going forward. But until then, until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye.